0: Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition.
1: I talk to the trees. Stop and hear what I say. Come
2: on around back, Arizona. and That's right. We are Talking Trees. It's the second Saturday of the month, 8 o'clock hour, our outdoor living hour. And if you'd like to talk trees, one That's one triple eight. rosie for you. Text questions, 411-923, and you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com if you'd like to snap a picture and send it to us. A little help with a plant or insect identification. We actually have uh, about five email questions that came in since our newsletter went out on... Thursday that we'll get to all all tree related that were sent in for you, Mr. Eisenhower. Very
3: cool.
2: And uh, y- your guest here, you're, you're 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 the left branch manager, and this is the right branch manager, <laughs> Stephen. Price. Yeah, he's <laughs> definitely the right branch manager.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Stephen Price, yeah. my good friend and arborist, and and my my cohort at at Integrity Savitry, and it's good to have him uh, riding shotgun today.
0: It can't be easy. Being a tree in the desert right now,
1: any plant, it,
0: it, yeah, any right, plant. yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I'm gonna have to turn my tomatoes, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm gonna have to rip them out this weekend. I got it, they're done.
1: Even the littlest it's trees, cooking, man, yeah, cooking. yeah, 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 yeah the it, turf, everything. Remember, the turf is just little tiny trees, a whole bunch of them put together. So. <laughs> ah, interesting,
3: <laughs> yeah, little miniature trees, yeah, it, especially the non indigenous plants, oh, you know, man. they're they're really having a, a tough time. Any broadleafed um, plant. Um, we have a, a a customer of ours who installed a bunch of uh, citrus trees and and he put in a couple of tropicals as well. This was about a month and a half, two months ago. We knew oh. we were heading into summer, so it might be kind of dicey. But he 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 was prepared and he built a nice little shade structure over his over his trees because they're all getting tinged. Mm. Um, and any broadleafed plant, you know, those leaves just uh, can't really they, they collect so much of the radiant heat from the sun that that you'll get a lot of margin burn around oh. the edges of those leaves and and many of you you know out there who have your agaves and some of those other more sensitive succulents and uh, they can they can get blasted and you've got to take some care uh, one of the simplest methods is to take a piece of shade you know fifty fifty shade cloth and even drape it over some of those succulents and cacti and more sensitive plants. And it's a good way of kind of getting you through the summer until probably you know late September. You can pull them off and, and uh, let the, the plants have the full sun again. Or just expect the fact that you're, like Gary was saying this morning, uh, getting a little bit of, of sunburn on the outside of the foliage shell of your plants. If they have enough dense foliage, uh, the outer Leaves will exactly, get a little bit exactly. blasted, <laughs> and then you'll just—they'll shed those leaves mm-hmm. in time and and recover. But yeah. Well,
0: I did. Ha- I did have a friend call me last night driving from Casa Grande to Gila Bend. He said he got three drops on his windshield. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming, baby. Yeah, it's I coming. Was, I guess yeah. Tucson got a bit of a rain last night. So I was looking Come on, last
2: night over the hieroglyphics, and you could just see. I mean, it was hot. It was windy. It was brutal. But you could just see those clouds building. I'm like, all right, if no yeah. you gotta you gotta <laughs> withstand that heat to get that rain, so keep keep building.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, growing up in the business, uh, you know, I was maintaining yards in college, I've said before, and every time this time of year, you know, my clients would say, What's wrong with my plants? What are you doing? Are you watering enough? You know, you you know, and it got to the point after I got experienced enough, I'd say, You know what, Miss Mrs Smith, why don't you come and stand out here in the yard all day? <laughs> <laughs> right now, stand out, put your arms out, and feel what that's like all day. I go, it doesn't matter. It's not the water. It's really, really hot. Yeah. It, yeah, it's burning things up. So, I mean, we would joke about them saying they would laugh. And, and so I would just tell them that a lot of people want to pound more and more water, and that could be a big problem. You have to check your water, obviously, because if they not get enough water, that's bad. But if they're getting the right amount of water and that's happening, it's just it's just going to happen.
0: Uh, and I'm, I've learned a big lesson here just in the last month. Uh, you know, with, with my recovery, I spent more time on my garden than I ever have. So, of course, I had a successful garden. I spent some time in there. Mm. But like I say, I'm turning all my tomato plants under because they're done. I have one tomato plant that still looks beautiful, and it's the volunteer in the compost pile. <laughs> You know, because its, it's <laughs> yeah. And oh, it, yeah, and its roots are just so happy. Natural selection. Yeah, so sure. much cooler, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, there's, that there's, one plant is, is There's gonna, a lesson there. Yeah, there's Mo- a lesson. Move all your tomatoes to the compost, the compost
3: next year. Yeah, some of our desert plants are pretty cool. They even um, go into what's called a summer dormancy in that they'll drop their leaves as a defense mechanism so they don't give up any water vapor through photosynthesis. It's kind of cool. Sometimes you'll look out across the desert and you'll see some plants, and you think, "Oh my goodness, they're dying." Well, they're often. Oftentimes, it's just the mesquite trees are dropping those leaves in order just to kind of hunker down and wait for some seasonal rain to come through. So, don't freak out if you've got some mesquites that, that go into that summer dormancy this time of year. They, they're not dead. Go up and scratch the bark. Uh, go out on the at, at the very tips of the branches the little twigs, and just scratch it with your thumbnail, and you'll see that it's still green under there. Uh, and as soon as there's some available seasonal rain, uh, the tree will put on a new uh, a new set of leaves. So yeah, a lot of adaptations. We're all adapting, you know, <laughs> to these summer uh, these summer temperatures. And,
2: and you all have a desert tree for the tree of the month.
3: We do. And it's one of my favorite trees um, for various reasons. But one of the main reasons is because when I was growing up as a kid, back in the 60s, we used to float the Verde pretty pretty routinely in the summer. And as you get, we'd get down at the confluence of the salt and the Verde and, and float down. And lining the Verde River are all these trees. And they're desert willows. And they choke the waterways through all the riparian areas um, throughout Arizona. But they're a really resilient plant and the nurseries now have some amazing cultivars of, of, of the Chalopsis linearis. And it's, uh, these desert willows are really attractive now, and they can be—along um, the rivers, they grow up as, 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 as shrubs, and they can grow into pretty tall tall trees, but mainly you see them growing up as multi-stemmed shrubs growing along the rivers. Uh, but you can train them as a small small shrub. You can train them into trees. You can buy them as a single standard tree or a or multi stem and they're beautiful. They've got a uh, a beautiful, uh, really the, the range of colors is really white to pink to purple. And this the one that we featured um, on on our uh, um, on our newsletter this year this 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 month was the Lucretia Hamilton, which is a little smaller, maybe fifteen to twenty foot um, shrub, and it's got a beautiful beautiful dark uh, pink kind of a purplish uh, bloom. And they get they are they're, they're beautiful. I mean, the ones that grow along the, the rivers, it's kind of a small, uh, smaller bloom, maybe an inch in diameter or so. The ones you can get now in that are the cultivars in the nurseries, those blooms can be three inches in diameter and larger and extremely dramatic. So if you want a, a kind of a, a a tree that has this beautiful, dramatic bloom, uh, really from fall, all, I mean, from spring all the way through fall, so you got about a three or four-month bloom cycles. If you want a flowering shrub or, or small tree in your yard this time of year, um, that's a really good choice. Yeah, that's the cool part with these trees. There's
1: like you said, there's so many cultivars that people will see them maybe at some place that they're looking, oh I really like that tree. Well they need to be careful when they go to the nursery and, and try to find out what exact what cultivar that is, what color is the bloom, how big is it going to get? Is, was it a design tree for to be a smaller? Tree or possibly more of a natural selection where it's, it could get very very large some people don't realize these trees can get very big 20 or 30 feet tall in the right location
3: yeah we've got a one that we've mentioned in uh, previous broadcasts is is a um, uh, in the front yard of one of our customers and uh, uh this friend Chris Torre has this amazing um, desert willow that's every bit of 45 50 feet tall and it's about 60 feet across and which is true of a lot of, of, of trees they're broader than they are tall and this one is, is is amazing. Unfortunately last week he sent me he texted me a little message and said John I had, I had a, a, a branch a major branch broke and he showed me this big fractured main stem um, and then he texted me later I was out of town I wasn't able to help him out and he uh, uh, texted me back and said sorry it broke fell all the way to the ground so I'm really disappointed that that, that beautiful majestic, desert willow that I've been talking to people about for the last 10 years uh, lost a major a little bit yeah lost a little um, of its top but like a lot of these these uh, very vigorous growing trees it'll probably regenerate some growth from below that cut and uh, send up some more sprouts which will become a a secondary canopy and uh, it'll have it'll have a a renaissance in the next uh, 10 years so uh, not, not not a bad thing. Certain tree varieties, that would occur too. You'd be really concerned about decay, getting into the heartwood. But these trees are putting on so much wood so quickly that that tree shouldn't have any problem recovering from a, even a major break like that.
1: I love what the ASU fact sheet, they're always funny. If you ever want to look up a plant uh, to the listeners out there, you Google it and then put ASU and, and uh, they do a really good job of, of kind of being funny, kind of telling you about the plant, what's going on. They call this a, a true Dr. Uh, Jekyll and Mr. Hyde tree. And it's so true because yeah. it's so beautiful in the summer right now. And in the winter, I mean, everybody thinks they're dead. They're dying. You know, they're they're deciduous. They're dormant. They leave the seed pods hanging on them. And we get so many calls, hey, my tree's dying or it's dead or whatever. And the problem is a lot of them do die because people see them going <laughs> you know, dormant, you know, come November and they think they're dying because they don't know they bought it in the summer. They didn't do their research and they start pounding the water. And a lot of times they will, they'll just get root rot and die. But, but usually in the winter, they're just dormant. Don't overwater them. And they're really, really ugly. So you need to be
3: prepared for that. Yeah, they, they do. They look pretty ghostly in the winter and that's the, that's the trade-off, you know, with every tree for the benefits. um, Every tree that has a showy display of of blossoms is also uh, a Best tree seat. that has a lot of litter yeah in fact we were just looking at the description this morning what did you say rosie
0: i've in my experience the desert world are a very dirty tree
3: <laughs> and i said you're,
0: you're raking the, it up and the description
3: says seasonal litter
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you gotta be you gotta be a tree lover to call all that
2: raking seasonal litter
0: <laughs>
3: right on
1: right
2: on <laughs> one That's one triple eight rosie for you If you'd like to talk trees, when you hear the auto attendant answer, just hit number 1 to bypass the auto attendant and it'll put you right into the studio Shake the sugar tree Till I feel And a beautiful arizona saturday morning to you we're going into our monsoon season we hope <laughs> we, we it, it didn't show last year we we're hoping it'll come back this year but we always get a lot of wind and uh, one of the things we talk about in the summer is prepping our trees for monsoon season and to start that you you've got a new term tree risk assessment
3: well yeah the the uh you can sort of feel the monsoon and the weather, even get walking out of the door this morning, you start to feel that humidity hanging in the air. and And the monsoon is around the corner. We get some storms that are start building up, and they'll either roll up from the Gulf, or they'll come down from Mount Baldy, that area. I guess that's where all the thunderstorms arise right over Mount Baldy, and it they rolled down from the rim from there. But uh, any way they come, we're, we' um they're they're kind of a, a blessing and a curse, because you want the the rain and the benefits that the storms bring to our to the to the low desert when our plants are so hurting for some water, but you don't want the results of he, the heavy winds and those downdrafts and the um, the uh, the the heavy uh, uh sheer force of of flatline winds that can just topple trees. So yeah, there's a, a term in our industry called tree risk assessment, and it's a Um, It's a a developed skill uh, to be able to analyze trees structurally and to determine if they're viable, if they're they're going to be able to handle the forces of wind. I mean, there's some catastrophic uh, winds, hurricane force winds, which regardless of the structure of the tree is going to damage a tree. You know, you hope that the parts of the tree that are damaged will be small enough diameter uh, inches in, that it won't be a it won't destroy the tree's um, beauty or function in the landscape, um, and we de- we talk about uh, when we do tree risk assessments about that size of branch which is most likely to fail as one of the components of that assessment. And if it's a three-inch diameter branch that's going to fail, not a big deal. If it's a twelve to eighteen-inch diameter branch, that's pretty significant um, loss of 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 the tree, and of course, there's entire tree failure, which usually occurs when the entire root plate lifts out of the soil, and the tree is completely lost. And that's you know uh, devastating when you lose a a beautiful shade tree in your yard. So there is a certified tree risk assessment qualification in our industry uh, that many of us have have studied for and achieved, and gives us a little bit higher level of expertise when it comes to evaluating trees. Uh, Because we look for those codominant stems and included bark, uh, you know, narrow angles of attachment, and then excessive end weight, um, you know, the lever force of a a long horizontal branch that's getting too heavy. Uh, Those put a lot of pressure on the points of attachment so those branches can fail. And those, you know, are pretty obvious. And and then there's mitigation uh, uh, efforts that we can put into place to try to, uh take care of those in anticipation of storms to make those trees uh, uh ready for uh, ready for the next storm that blows through but Steve's got his is a certified tree risk assessment uh, credential and um he's you know he's 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 a he's got a sharp eye when it comes to evaluating that there's some other uh techniques also you can use some equipment that we have available to you to, to actually determine if there's decay inside a, a stem of a tree to kind of determine if it, the shell wall thickness of the sapwood is, 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 is strong enough to, um, uh, to keep that tree upright. Should there be, um, some wind and maybe Steve can address some of those issues. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on.
1: Yeah, no, I'm just thinking about it. Um, I carried that, uh, certification for, um, I think several years. And then I did let that lapse, um, wasn't being utilized a lot, but had the training. I was really blessed to be on one of the first classes in our area with an amazing arborist, Julian Dunster, Mm -hmm. uh, out of Canada. And so when he came and I'd already been an arborist for quite a few years and uh, I was in with all the other top arborists, kind of in our state. And, uh, it was just absolutely amazing. Um, This guy has a wealth of experience. He's traveled around the world. He's assessed trees, um, every kind of tree, every kind of place. And so to get that kind of teaching um, was—and we even went out. We walked around. We were down over in downtown Phoenix, I think, by Encanto Park area. And uh, he pointed out so many things that, even with a lot of experience, that you maybe wouldn't have noticed before. The number one thing I learned in that class, though, was really basic— well, in that teaching and the studying, you know, you go through the books and, and you know, have to test. It was really difficult. So you, you go through all that whole process, the hands on and stuff. But the number one thing was, it, you know, a tree, we have to remember, is, is there is no risk. There is no hazard if there's no what, John? Tree. No, 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 if there's no targets. No targets. Yeah. If it's, you know, you know if it's out where nobody is around and it has all these issues you know, is it something we need to worry about? No, probably no. But the closer you get to targets, a home, a street, a school, or whatever, you know, this raises the level of the importance of us to identify these hazardous conditions in the tree and to make a, a workable plan to address them or or remove the tree.
2: One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Just hit one when the auto attendant answers. That'll put you right into the studio or broadcast. We're halfway through the hour already, and we've got a lot more to come. We're to Palo Verde Beetles. We had a couple of people write in about that. We've got uh, irrigation techniques to cover as well. And if you'd like to join the conversation, one 767 I'll buy you tall, tall trees and all the waters and the
1: seas. I'm a fool, fool, fool for you.
2: Dale wrote in this week and said, "I'm seeing Palo Verde beetles crawling out of holes around my Palo Verde trees. I think that this means that a lot of them are eating roots. What can I do to kill the ones that are still underground?"
3: Well, it's pretty tough to do because there's a lot of soil volume to treat. Uh, there are chemicals that you can you can use, but I think if it's a little impractical to try to. Uh, to treat the entire soil volume around a large Palo Verde, mature Palo Verde tree. Um, and also, there's at any given time, there's three generations of, of insects in the soil. You have the adults, the larvae, and the pupa, uh, which are once those larvae—the larvae are the ones that are eating all the, the roots. Then they pupate and are in the soil for another season. Then they finally emerge as adults, and then you'll see the adults come out of those holes. The adults mate—it's um, so usually about the middle of June— the adults mate for a couple-week period of time. The females go back down in the holes and lay the eggs and start that that cycle again. And the larvae that emerge from those eggs are what are, are chewing on the roots of your trees. It's so a once
2: you see the beetle, it's not a threat. The, the threat's already done. Yeah,
3: yeah. Correct. The adults are—and are, they do emerge in, in large numbers this time of year. You'll see those big black beetles, sometimes two, three inches long— and uh, they they fly they, they mainly crawl around but you'll see them flying occasionally there was it was funny on next door this this last week uh, somebody had a had one fly fly up in their hair and hair on fire they're running around screaming and 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 i think the gal said said S- you know those in my neighborhood i just want to f- start by apologizing for the loud scream you heard yes that was me and uh it, it was kind of a fun post about 30 or 40 people all kind of chimed in she says what in the dickens was that thing that was that was flying around in my head and then people r- rightly identified it and said it's probably these palaverdi beetles and they're this, they're pretty common around this time. if, you, if you're out at night around a, a bright light you'll see see them they're pretty um prehistoric looking black beetles they're kind of uh, they're kind of scary uh, they have a <laughs> <laughs> kind of like pinchers on the yeah, front, big, yeah. Like. Mandibles yeah, on yeah. the front that are those. Those mandibles can yeah. can break a, a, a pencil. I mean, we we've actually put a pencil in there, a wooden pencil, and they'll just crush it. So they're pretty powerful little little guys. So don't get your finger in there, but you can grab them and and uh, you know play around with them a little bit. They're kind of they're pretty harmless. They don't go looking to bite you. Uh, but they're uh um, yeah they're pretty. I'll, I'll leave the Paul Hurry
2: bore beetle playing to you. I I, I I think the most I've ever done with them is uh, you know a, a little shoe polish on the bottom of the sole.
1: <laughs> I have a great story. I just I was just going home the other night and I was walking down the sidewalk, and uh, I mean I, I I just walked down the and I heard something behind me. It went like like really loud, and you know I turned around and it it was a big Palo Verde beetle, and that thing was about five or six inches long, and it had just fallen and hit the sidewalk. And it was, like I said, it sounded like a golf ball hitting the sidewalk. And I was just like, oh, I just couldn't believe it! how how he had hit, and he was just crawling off, you know. And I kicked him off the sidewalk because I knew if anybody else came, they would freak out. I found a beetle by my tree a couple of days ago, and his legs were still moving, but his body was
3: missing, so apparently a bird had a breakfast with him. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. Not for the squeamish, but... (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, that's that's probably a good thing because they they do provide a little bit of uh, fodder for the the local birds.
2: Now, is there anything we could do to treat the larvae down there to save save the tree, or is the damage they're doing to the paloverde tree insignificant?
3: Well, they're part of the desert ecology, and and I I feel like they they if they're if they're out near the perimeter of your tree and they're they're part they're just you know, gnawing away at a few of the smaller. Um, roots of the tree they're not the, the, the tree can coexist with them for many, many years. The problem is we have often have our, our emitters pretty close to the tree. and so we have this area of saturated soil that's pretty close into the tree. And it's a more favorable environment for the insects yes. to be there Soft. rather than in the native trees, they might be out a little further from the tree because once they get in close to the trunk of the tree and start girdling some of those large scaffold roots that then emerge right from the, the root collar, uh, then it's, uh, it's, um, it's all over for the tree because as soon as those major roots are lost, then you'll see the corresponding dieback above ground. So if you see your Palo Verde tree starting to flag and you start to see little areas in the canopy that start turning brown or single individual branches start to die, chances are the roots are getting devoured below ground and there's a slow process of, of a, a two- or three-year uh, decline of the tree and eventually they'll die. Sometimes they'll, these Palo Verdes will just blow over in the next storm and then you look underground and you'll see the, the the root zone is completely perforated uh, with all these uh, uh, beetles that have grubs that have, that have been uh, eating the the roots.
1: Yeah. So two things on that one. Yes, we do treat though. And uh, try to knock down, we try to mitigate. It's like you, you, you can't really, because like you said, the the three season, we do definitely treat it. We try to slow it down and uh, control it so it doesn't kill the tree. So yes, but it's not a hundred percent like a lot of those things. Another thing I want to point out is the same with agave weevils. They, it's basically the same process. You get the beetles, you get the larva, but the, the weevils also uh, uh, put their uh, a little poison into the plant that softens the plant up and starts melting it so the larva can eat it even easier. But it's kind of that same process again. So you know, usually early in the spring, couple of treatments if you want to be preventative. But like, but totally, if it's if if it's really dying quick, it's usually the damage is done. The last thing is the first one. I like John said, a tree failed when I was a young man as maintaining the yard, and uh, I had to go clean up the tree. And the first larva that I saw, I, I almost passed out. It was so ugly. <laughs> I thought it was an alien creature from uh, from outer space. I'm not kidding. I I looked at it. I Look at the face of that thing. <laughs> And I I almost passed out. It was so grotesque. And I thought, oh, my God, I'll never forget it. It was about six inches long, huge, and I was cleaning up this Palo Verde that had failed. Well, we
3: we did a root collar excavation with our air spade around a large specimen tree at the Desert Botanical Garden a couple years ago. Uh, This tree had started to decline, and we suspected there might be um, Palo Verde bores. So we bring in this air spade. It's a pneumatic tool that displaces the soil around the base of trees without disturbing the roots. And I hadn't put that uh, air spade onto the soil for 30 seconds, and I was was blowing these. (laughs) These larvae were flying out in every direction. And I had, within about five minutes, there were 30 or 40. So they were eating around the very base of the tree, right at the main root collar itself. And it was, you know, obviously bad news. But it was so funny because all the Desert Botanical Garden employees had gathered around. Many of them had never seen these before. And there were these—and we were laying them out in, like— like like fish on the on the on the boat dock, we are laying them out in in this big row on the on the top of this little stem maybe good ste- bait, stem yeah, wall, maybe good and bait, and they're all crawling off, you know, in various directions because they can kind of wriggle. They can't really crawl because they don't have legs, <laughs> but they're kind of wriggling <laughs> off. And it was quite a quite a colors uh, like, are dropping off. You know?
2: <laughs> Where's dirty jobs when you need them? Let's get yes. you a couple of calls. Barbara's first on the line with a question about a red push. Good morning and welcome to the program.
0: <laughs> good morning.
2: I have a red push
0: pistach. Last summer, it put out a lot of sap, so I was told that my might be watering it too much. It's on a drip system, and I have no clue how much it's really getting. But then this year, when it leafed out, two-thirds of the tree leafed out, and the other third put out buds but didn't want to actually open up to leaves. And some of the new leaves that come out are very skinny and curled, and they don't develop into a mature leaf.
3: Yeah, that is a bit of a mystery. It makes me wonder if there might be a girdling root on that side of the tree. We've often had uh, uh, seen that with trees that are emerging from dormancy, and um, part of the tree leafs out fully, and part of it doesn't, and um this one tree in that in that i remember it it didn't have a, a a root flare on the side of the tree that corresponded to this large branch that didn't never didn't leaf out we did a scratch test out on the end of it and we saw that it was still green so we knew the tree was that branch was viable we wondered why of all the branches in this mature tree didn't it have leaves well we followed that branch down the trunk of the tree and it corresponded to this area of the root collar where there was no root flare. And we th- thought, we suspected there might be a, a a girdling root. And we, sure enough, got the air spade, went down, just uh, dis- got rid of the soil at that area, and saw this large girdling root about an inch and a half in diameter that was strapped right over the top of a main buttress root on that side of the tree. Got out the hammer and chisel, and we chiseled away at it. And as soon as I broke through, that, 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 uh, that root was so... so um, under such pressure uh, uh, on top of that 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 buttress root that when I broke through it with that last um, swing of my hammer onto the chisel it popped so loud that the owner heard it across the yard 50 feet away he said what was that I said I just it was it was so tight that when I when I broke through the root it just pow and so we, we took that section of root out is about a foot long over the top of that 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 buttress root removed that girdling root and within a, a week, he said, "Yeah, the the, the branch leafed out entirely, so wow. back to to normal." So something you might w- want to think about it's it like could like pinching be. off a vein. It is, and so what happens if that if that root that girdling root stays in place, it will actually it'll actually strangle that buttress root, and that buttress root will die, and the girdling root will stay alive because it's 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 younger, it's 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 more vital, and it will just anyway that whole side of the tree could decline and. You could have a, a problem, you know, going forward with that that uh, any of the any of the branches that 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 root was supplying nutrients to. Some trees are very good at translocating the water nutrients from other roots, so it can recover from something like that. And that may have been the case if we hadn't done that something with that with that root. But you don't want to if you can find those girdling roots and get rid of them. It's a good thing. And especially so, young, yeah, yeah, for
1: Barbara.
2: We need to make sure we figure out what we are actually watering. We need to make sure it's out at the a- edge, exactly of the 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 drip edge of the tree branches. And uh, how much? She
1: pa- said she has no idea. The other clue Barbara gave was the the sap. I'm just curious, was it oozing out of the side of the trunk, or where did she notice the sap? Because that could be a, a, a fungal disease, you know, or, mm-hmm. or a root rot as well. Could be both issues, you yeah, know. Because if you're if you're getting that sap oozing out of right out of the sides of the tree. That's another huge issue, and it'll cause similar symptoms. So,
2: so, uh, Save-A-Tree, and there's no E, S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E.com. Save-A-Tree. You could get one of the guys out and have a look and see if there's more issues underground. As they say, as go the roots, so go the shoots. And the Red Push Pistache, real quick before we get to our next call, I remember talking and hearing a conversation at one of the Arizona Community Tree Council's conferences about that red push pistache and how you're going to see it be a very dominant tree in in Phoenix. And uh, the, the 303, the northern uh, parkway that's expanding, you know, you look along those, any tree that's not a desert native along that new freeway is all red push pistache. Nice. I mean, it's it's really... Great
3: it's good to hear coming yeah.
2: along in popularity it's, it's a beautiful tree too yeah gilbert
1: queen creek they're using them abundantly they're really hardy usually that's why they're really if it's a nice specimen they're really usually very very hardy again deciduous in the winter again so but for a short time that's a tree that holds on the leaves long time into the winter and then boom drops them short time starts coming back out yeah amazing in fall color too
2: Segment number four of Talking Trees with ISA-certified arborist John Eisenhower and Steve Price. Judy wants to know about an Arizona ash tree. Calling from Wickenburg. Good morning and welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. I love your
0: program. I have two Arizona ash. They're 12 years old, probably 20 feet tall, and I use a soaker, uh, soaker, uh,
1: 100-foot soaker on them every mm-hmm. 10 days, and I leave it on for about six hours. Is that long enough?
3: You know, what are the trees telling you? You know, <laughs> well
1: they look gorgeous.
3: Well, yeah, don't fix what's not broke. Um, <laughs> if they're if they're um, not showing some late afternoon wilting, you're probably doing a great job. Six hours is a pretty good length of time. I usually tell people to water for about ten or twelve hours and do it once a month, maybe once every six weeks. So if you're on a Every ten days cycle with those uh, trees, and maybe twelve years old. Maybe uh, six six hours is, is sufficient to get to the bottom of the root ball, because those are probably only going to be rooted at about a twenty four inch depth of soil. So maybe six hours would be enough. You know, using a soil probe would you know be able to tell you how deep you're getting after your six hours of irrigation. You might want to get a soil probe and push it down in the soil. And when you feel resistance, you'll know that's uh, that solid, uh, um, uh, non-saturated soil below that. So you can push your soil probe down, and if you're down to 24 inches of depth, that's probably you know pretty good for that that mature tree. But I like to tell people go for 10 or 12 hours because that'll give you usually about a three foot depth of saturation, and and I, I tell them just to put their put their soaker hose on at night. At, you know, six or seven o'clock at night and just turn it off in the morning when you get up to set your alarm to be sure you remember to sh- shut it off. And then you'll be, regardless of the size of your tree, if it's a mature eucalyptus or a pine tree, I just gave this recommendation to a pine tree customer yesterday who has a very mature pine tree in a kind of a dry corner of the backyard and it's looking water stressed. And and uh, I just told him, yeah, you know, run it 12, 10 or 12 hours and and do that once every month or so maybe every six weeks should be should be plenty and the uh just the one caveat i, I gave was don't do it right before a monsoon i was storm gonna, is as coming. i was gonna pipe in be yes. sure that you look at the weather report make sure that there's not a, not a storm cycle coming because you don't want to have that entire root plate loose in the soil right when you have a big storm that being said um you've got to the tree has to have water so you know be sure that you give it what it needs and
2: and the desert can trick you you know even if you look at the forecast and you look at the clouds and you watch it i mean you could you could see a massive wall of rain and a thundercloud go you know Right by you and your right. house never get a drop
3: yeah, on it either. <laughs> don't let fear, fear of a storm or even a, even an um, anticipated uh, monsoon cycle keep you from giving the tree the water it needs. But then again, the monsoon might be bringing a significant amount of right. rain too. So right. um, you might just want to wait until that storm blows by and see what, what kind of rain you get before you put out that soaker hose. That's
2: what we're all praying for, a lot of rain this monsoon. Yeah, And that goes, that went segue perfectly in your last talking point on irrigation. And you already mentioned soaker hoses, your soil probe. That has been a very helpful tool adding to, to our house was a good three-foot fiberglass soil probe. That, that's changed uh, how I've watered.
3: Yeah, it sure gives you a, a, a an idea of how deep you're you're, you're watering, and can it can really save you a lot of water in the in the long run. And I the, the main thing is just to be careful you don't water uh, too frequently t- and at, at too shallow a depth. You're doing very little good for your larger mature trees when you do that. And and make sure you're as you were mentioning earlier, water out near the drip line of the tree. You don't be watering right up next to the trunk on your mature trees. There's very few absorbing roots in that area of soil but get that water out as far as you can. That's why the soaker hose is so helpful because you make loops, you know, you just kind of run it underneath a, say a a 20 by 20 foot square, like I recommended for that pine tree customer yesterday. Just, uh, and then you just loop your your hose in that big uh, square area um, or in concentric circles around the tree, but you want to be out to the, a 10 foot radius around your, these larger trees and maybe a smaller radius, six or eight foot radius around your medium sized trees. Like those ash trees that she mentioned that are 12 years old. You know that's probably going to be about a 10 inch uh, diameter trunk. You know an eight or 10 foot radius would be perfect for those. And and uh, anyway, just I I usually tell people put a three or four foot uh, distance between your, your your loops of your or your your hoses as as you're laying them out because the saturation pattern is going to be about 18 inches from the from the from the hose in each direction. So if you have your loops at at 36 inches, and those saturation patterns will coalesce. The main thing is you want the water to get distributed evenly over the entire root zone. That's why it's so hard to put a, a regular hose out and let it run because you're one you're having to go out there and constantly move it. But those are just you're you're only watering those certain areas that are right underneath the the hose. And again, if you got tree wells and that's beautiful, then you can just um, put your hose out. But sometimes tree wells are only they're 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 too small.
2: And real quick, tell me about this virtual plant festival.
3: Yeah, if you got your pen and paper, you might want to jo- jot down this um, this website. It's really pretty cool. It's um azplantfest.org. org. f e s t dot org. It's a um, this collaboration of of uh, organizations that have put together this uh, in light of the fact that we can't have some of our our annual horticultural conferences. Um, there, this is a virtual conference that you can go attend online at no cost, and check out how to grow, plant, uh, cultivate, and celebrate trees and and plants, and 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 how to acquire good seed sources. And easyplantfest.org It's On Facebook as well. Oh, good. It's I, yeah, it's posted on the Rosie on the House Facebook page. So, John Eisenhower, so.
2: Stephen Price, thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us.